You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and I'm joined today by the international man of mystery and the most dangerous man I know, Dan Burkholder. Dan, why are you so dangerous? I, uh, I actually don't know how to answer that question, but maybe I will later. Give you a minute to think on that. Yeah, come on, Dan. It's like Iceman, Top Gun, right? I can't fly with you, Maverick. You're too dangerous. I often say this about Dan. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's like that at all. Actually, I do have a firearm on me, like right now. <laughs> well, that is pretty dangerous, Dan. I'm not gonna lie. Speaking of danger, we're gonna be talking about that in today's show, Dan. We're talking about danger, and we're expounding on this show's tagline, which is forging dangerous men in wild places. Now, if you were with us for the last episode, which was episode three, we talked about forging, and now we're going to be talking about danger. So, Dan, one of the statements that I've often made, and I do think that is true, is that the best of men are dangerous men. And I want to ask you in today's show, what do we mean by that? What kind of danger are we talking about? Yeah, you you have the obvious things, I think, like a... a a man who has physical strength, uh, prowess with weaponry, like a guy who is really proficient with his concealed carry pistol, I mean, is, is a dangerous man. That's, that's more obvious, but I think there are other categories that maybe we don't think of, um, you know, when we talk about dangerous men and 2019, I had this goal that I set out to be a dangerous man. That was, that was actually like, I don't think of a very dangerous man. I want to be a dangerous man, but I did mean get my concealed carry again. Cause when I moved, I didn't have reciprocity. So I got my concealed carry and, and was became proficient in my, my fire on my, my concealed carry gun. But I also meant like economically, I meant mentally and I meant spiritually. And so it was more, it's more than just a physical thing. Like, for example, economically, one of my concerns was that I was a debt slave and I still do have a mortgage, but I made radical life changes and strides in 2019 to begin paying off my debt so that I, I, I will be debt free in seven and a half years uh, because I didn't want to be a slave. And, a, and the reason that makes a person dangerous is because you are a freed man. You are not beholding to anyone financially for that debt. Nobody can say your debt is due. You own everything that you have. There's nothing that you have that is borrowed. And so you become a dangerous person because you become really difficult to cancel or to manipulate at that point. Uh, Same thing, economically speaking, with being a wage slave. And that's kind of an offensive term and it's meant to be. Um, But if you are beholding to another person to pay your salary, you're building their household, you can be fired at at any time unless you work for the government. And then it's a really pain in the butt process. But you're still a wage slave to the government, which is even worse in a lot of ways. But so my goal was to start some side hustles and some investing so that I would not be beholden to anyone for my income as well, which makes you obviously a person who doesn't have debt and who is independently getting their income is a very difficult person to manipulate monetarily or economically. And then it starts bleeding into other areas. Like your house becomes a a hotbed of economic activity. And so now you have a house hold that's producing something that's, that's paid for. And that's a dangerous, dangerous household because you're independent. You're not beholden to anyone. And so those are some of the things that I thought through And those are some of the things that make a man dangerous. Yeah, I love that, Dan. That's that's great. And I especially think one of the core things is what you talked about, that the setting up of your life so that you're you're dangerous in the sense of you're a free man, right? You can defend yourself. You can defend your family. You're not beholden to other men. You're not enslaved to anyone or anything. And this does indeed make you more dangerous. I also think it's worth pointing out that we normally, like when you think, this person's dangerous. 
and say they're driving with a cell phone, they're swerving across traffic, right? The kind of danger we're talking about is not this. This is recklessness. So we're going to unpack this statement uh, in just a moment. We, we're going to say something like men are sharp knives, right? They're sharp and they're dangerous, but they have to be used for a purpose. And so really, we want to make that clarification. It's not about recklessness, but it is danger that's controlled and used for a purpose. So I want to, Dan, I want to jump into the manifesto now and what it says. It says that you don't make men good by softening, weakening, or domesticating them, but instead, good men are incredibly dangerous and they're sharp, right? Men who have had that under voluntary control, they know how to fight, they know how to pull a trigger, or they know how to slit the throat for the protection of the weak and the prosperity of their people. So, Dan, again, I want to go back to the picture that we're using here. And this picture, right, is of a knife. It's sharpness, and it's being used for a purpose. Why is that a good picture for a man in terms of what danger is and what danger and the man is for? Yeah, you know, when you're looking at the virtuous man, again, which is redundant because virtue apparently means masculinity to a degree. Um, when you look at the virtuous man, he is the most dangerous man Uh He's a, he's a husbandman or a shepherd. Like what does a shepherd do? He protects the flock. He protects people that are in his charge. He's a Lord. Lords are dangerous. They are rulers of their realm. Uh, men are saviors, which means that they will give up everything for the protection of their people. They will give themselves up to, to, um, physical harm or even death, their time, their money. Everything is for the sake of those that they are willing to protect. Um, some of these other uh, aspects really describe the most dangerous man is a man of virtue, a man with self mastery. We talked about it in our forging episode that that a man who uh, is self controlled is untouchable. Like you can't you can't move him because he has self mastery. He has self control. He is disciplined, and so he is not easily provoked. But when he is provoked, you know, look out. Yeah, and I think it ties in really nice with the last episode, this concept of training and discipline uh, that we talked about with forging. Uh, and I think particularly of weaponry, you can think about firearms. I think about going to some of the training courses that I've been to. And who are the most dangerous men? Well, they're the ones who have trained themselves, right? They've disciplined themselves. They've shot thousands and thousands of rounds. They've practiced everything from clearing rooms to breaching doors, you name it, uh, they've trained on it. And so they're very dangerous men in this sense. On the other hand, you have people who show up to the range and they're dangerous in a different way. They're, they're reckless dangerous. Flagging people with a firearm would, would be something that uh, is reckless. Um, you see this all the time um, at the range, especially from people who are inexperienced. They're not trained. So these are not people who have their violence, their, their dangerous capacity under a controlled voluntary mastery. And, and that's not what we mean. We don't mean this recklessness. Of course, in warriors, you can easily see this. Uh, they know how to fight well. They know how to tie that to something, uh, too. So I want to ask you this question. Why is it important as men that we see that we have this dangerous capacity, but we need to be trained, we need to harness it so that we can control it and use it uh, for the right purposes. Yeah, Eric, I think that's a really good question. A man who is dangerous in the the way that you've discussed, uh, who is a master of his domain, a master of his, of himself, is dangerous towards the enemies, which we will ha probably have to define. Dangerous to whom, uh, and dangerous to what? But a dangerous man is one who will protect his legacy who protects those who he's responsible for. Because uh, one, I mean, one of the things that is repeated ad nauseum is that men don't get excuses. Men get responsibility. That's what men were made to do is to take responsibility. And a dangerous man, a man who is dangerous to his enemies is a man who accepts his role in taking responsibility. So he knows his mission. He's no, he knows what he's made for. And he's going to accomplish that mission with mastery. And so that does look like protecting your legacy and producing um, uh, economic and uh, physical well-being for those that are around you. 
Um, it also makes it very dangerous towards your enemies because if you have a man who is a master of his domain and you bump up against him, that's what we appreciate about some of these guys who are like, you know, this guy owns the libs on YouTube. It's because he's a master of that do- domain or the guy who is like a weapons instructor or special forces or the guy who is, you know, a sports uh, like a like an athlete, like a Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Like people want to see that because that guy is dangerous. He's a master of his domain. And so that's what men were created to do is to have mastery over their areas of responsibility. So accepting that responsibility and then ma- being a master of it becomes a very dangerous man. Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful way to put it, Dan. One of the questions I want to ask you, since this is a podcast, right? This is the Wilderness Warrior podcast. Uh, so far, we've really been talking about danger in the sense of being a warrior and what that can be used for. But there's also a tie-in with the wilderness part, uh, I, I believe. So why, Dan... I want to ask you, why is the wilderness uh, such a, a good place to go to learn to be dangerous? Why is it a good place to figure out how to harness your dangerous capacity and for men to figure out how you can use wild places uh, to train those skills of danger in yourself? Yeah, that's good. I think skills is, is a really good word to describe what you're doing when you're going out into these dangerous places is is that a, a man who has no mastery, a man who has no skills in this arena of the wilderness, even, even if it's like a Midwest 40 acre sort of thing, that guy is going to be a danger to himself. He's not going to be a danger to anyone else. I mean, that's the guy who's like, no, don't cut towards yourself with that knife. Nah, watch your muzzle. You know, what are you doing crossing the barbed wire fence like that? You, you don't, you know, there's so many different things that you could say, like you've, probably been around guys who are, are not masters of the domain of wilderness because they don't have any skills and they don't have the, the, the self mastery over those necessary skills to not just be like to get along in the wilderness, you know, but I'm talking like men as men, we have the opportunity to be a wilderness warrior, to take uh, dominion by honing those skills that are necessary, not just to survive in the wilderness, but to thrive in the wilderness Um, we know the guys who are, they just seem like they are, they've just arrived home. You get these guys in the mountains and you know, they're like mountain goats. They just seem like this is their terrain. This is their home. They seem to embrace the being uncomfortable and it's like a new level of comfort for them. They're like almost more natural in this environment. Those men, um, have, taken this, this arena that is very dangerous and they've become skilled and mastered themselves in it and know where the danger is and how to avoid it. And also just have honed those skills to the point where it's become an area of, uh, where they're comfortable. Whereas someone without mastery would be very uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. I think you make some interesting points, Dan, really good points. And as we think about the wilderness today, I want to get your take on this. I think our conception of it has changed pretty radically in the last hundred years, right? And not only about wilderness, but just the outdoors in general, things like working with animals, interacting with the land. If you if you look back at most of human history, we would have experienced these things, but today not so much. Um, you can even think about the early nineteen hundreds, the founding of things like the Boy Scouts, right? I was a Boy Scout, um, I was an Eagle Scout. And so even in, say, like the 1990s, when I was going through the program, it was pretty much a given culturally that outdoors were a great place to teach masculinity to boys. Uh, But it's interesting today because even now I get a ton of pushback. Like when I talk about my love for the outdoors and I combine that with masculinity, uh, people are sort of up in arms. And especially, I think, within the church. Uh, people will say things like, well, you know, a real man is somebody who has really sweet prayer times. And while I wouldn't disagree that that is part of being a man, you need to, you know, you need to cultivate your spiritual life. There's got to be a lot more than just that. So Dan, if you, if you rewind the tape a hundred years or so, and you said to people back then, Hey, the outdoors are a great place to learn masculinity. I think everybody would have said, yeah, you're right. Obviously, duh. But my question now is, what do you think changed culturally 
maybe it's a little bit of this division between the physical and the spiritual happening. Uh, but what changed that we no longer see the, the benefit of the outdoors for training men? I think that's a really big question that has a lot of different answers to it. Because within the within the Christian church, you could you could point definitely to the influence of Gnosticism or some pretty radical theologies that, I mean, essentially summarized in Gnosticism that separates the spiritual and the physical realm to say physical realm is like neutral or even bad. And the only thing that matters is the spiritual realm. But even if you go to just the general secular culture at large, where you have the feminization of culture, of course, the wilderness is a dangerous place. The wilderness is also a place to be worshipped, according to the secularist, like wolves and grizzly bears and these animals almost take on like a mythical type status and humans are the ones that ruin it. And so to say, like, you need to go into the wilderness to tame yourself and to become a man and to, you know, take dominion over this arena, they would say that that's a bad thing. In fact, sit down, stay inside, watch your Netflix, you know, and eat more soy. Yeah. So we have, there are a lot of competing influences that would say um, that would be offended and in fact, discourage a man from actually going out and being challenged in, in the wilderness. I think there are a lot of different worldviews at play there, but it seems like universally they're saying what your what your feedback is is that that is a bad thing that is a thing that is unnecessary for a man to do yeah i i agree with you completely dan and like you said i think there's a lot at play here but it kind of reveals a worldview that's at enmity with masculinity in general um one of the things i think is really cool about the wilderness especially when it comes to men and particularly now I want to talk about men and the training of sons, Dan, is there is just something that happens in the soul of a man when he's exposed to wild places. So when you go out into the wilderness and you're exposed to the goodness and the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of creation, you see these wild places and like the world appears bigger, right? You realize that what you see on your Twitter feed, right? It's not everything. And there's sort of this grand sweep and beauty that can just overtake your soul. I know that's happened for me so many times. It's one of the reasons that I keep going back. And I think this is a really good thing for men to experience, for boys to experience. I find in myself, it makes me yearn more for things like virtue, right? I, I long to be a better man, to somehow live into this glory and beauty of creation that I'm experiencing. And, and I was thinking of an experience this last bow hunting season. I took my son and we hiked up into this basin. You know, we parked at the trailhead and I don't know, it's maybe two, two and a half miles of a hike in before like the tree line opens up and you could see this entire basin and for like a mile and a half back, just this beautiful vista. And here we are, we're, we just come out of the trail uh, through the trees and this, this creek is flowing through the bottom of this drainage basin. And I'm telling you, like the Rocky Mountains are just breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. And the sun is on the horizon behind a cloud and it's just beautiful. And I remember the moment because I, I turned and my 13-year-old son, he had stopped in the trail and I was like, what, what is he doing? I thought maybe he'd seen an animal or something like that, you know? And I stood there next to him and we were watching down the draw. And finally I turned and I said to him, I was like, what? what do you see? Do you see something? And he said, I just can't believe this place, dad. It's so beautiful. It's, it's so big and it makes me feel small, but in a good way. And that's, I think exactly the experience that I would point fathers to, um, to get their sons to experience. You're not going to get that in front of a screen. You're not going to get that even in a classroom or an office. And as men, we just, we long for the bigness and glory of creation. And I think particularly, Dan, uh, and I want to get your take on this, but particularly I think with boys, right? They're just boys and men. We're just hardwired for these wild places. And I think like 10 years ago, we knew this, right? That's why Boy Scouts was so formative for, for so many years with the training of boys, how to be men. So I just want to speak, like if you're a dad listening to this show, uh, maybe you're a son and you say, man, I, I'd like to experience that dad. But if you're listening to this, uh, Dan, I want you to just speak to this. How would you encourage 
men or boys in this situation uh, to take their kids outside, to take them hunting. Um, if you don't know how to do it, find somebody, learn. Why is it so important? Well, I think just from your story, you gave a good sales pitch on that because I started thinking about all the experiences that I've had. And what you're talking about is like a transcendence. Romans 1 says like, nobody has an excuse. Like everybody knows that God exists. It's it's apparent. His power is made manifest in his creation. And so when you look at that valley, when you look at that sunrise, when you're on the lake and you see, you know, the clouds reflected in the glass, you know, of of the lake, you're taking in that glory. Yep. And it should point our direction uh, towards the creator. And and so the thing is when we insulate our boys from that, from that transcendent beauty of creation and ultimately a directing towards the worship of, of God, the creator of all that exists. Um, we're robbing our kids. We really are robbing them by artificially trying to simulate those sorts of thoughts or even just insulating them unintentionally. Um, through just being indoors, like all the time, doing your schedule, doing school, it's inconvenient. Just the nature of being in a wild place means it's inconvenient. It's just not right on the edge of town. It requires work to get there. Um, and it's worth it. And I think the kids will see that as well. And boys want to be tested, especially as they start to get older. Eric, I'm sure you're seeing this with your, your boys. They want to, they're in a transition between, I'm like, I want to be like dad. I want to be a man. What do I, what do men do? How do I become a man? That's why rites of passage are so important. And you can see that that was built into boy scouts, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It definitely was built into boy scouts. I definitely remember that as a boy, right? I can see that in my 13 year old, right? He's on his first hunt this year. That was a great example. As I said before, uh, he's able to kill a bull. You could see the glow in his face, that whole experience. Uh, he's keeping up with dad, he's carrying a pack, he's doing all of those things. He's learning how to carry his own weight among other men. So it's just super huge uh, as, a, as a rite of passage for him. Again, shooting his own bull, that was, that was huge. It's just super awesome rite of passage experience. Put a little blood on his face and welcomed him to the tribe. And I remember standing there, you know, watching him after he killed his bull. And my dad was there, you know, grandpa's there. It was crazy. My dad had shot his bull, and then like immediately after that, another bull walks out. My son son shoots that. So it's just generational uh, rite of passage happening, and it it was a prominent moment. You know, I looked at my son. I put my arms around him, and I just told him, I said, "I love you so much. I'm so proud of the man that you're becoming." And even now, when people ask him about the hunt, you can see his eyes really light up. Like he feels like he's a little bit more of a man. And that's because he is, you know, even among Indian tribes, this would have been your first kill, right? You, you're becoming a man. This is, this is how you, you go there. And I think in our culture, we don't really have uh, those rite of passages anymore uh, for young men. And certainly Boy Scouts instills that sort of thing uh, as well. And I, I can even think, you know, my son and I, we play sometimes video games, particularly in the winter, right? You got short daylight. We get home in the evening and it's it's dark so we might play Madden or something like that but I mean that really pales in comparison uh, to being in the outdoors to hunting and, and going through these experiences together as men yeah it's cheap fun and the thing is like you're you know Benjamin's never going to forget that I remember my first deer you remember your first deer or elk I mean we all remember that the first time we shot a turkey like that's that's something that is special that is something that will never leave you. He's going to be an old man telling his grandkids like, hey, there was this one time I shot a bull, my first bull, and this is what happened. And I remember it. I was there with your, your great, great grandpa or whatever, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I could even see that in my dad on the hunt. You know, he's in his mid 60s and he, he's recounting some, he's killed his bull and he's recounting some of the stories, some of the things he's experienced throughout his life. And one of those was hunting with his his buddy Carl. He uh, has passed away. Carl was older than my dad, but uh, my dad used a two eighty Ackley that Carl. He I think he bought it from Carl, 
And my dad was holding his rifle and looking at the massive, like, 330-inch bull that he killed. And uh, he looked at me, and he's like, you know what? I think Carl would be happy about this moment. And we all, we all kind of teared up, you know. Uh, it was definitely an emotional thing, especially for a bunch of guys who can sometimes be a little too stoic. But it, it really is an amazing, life-changing moment. Uh, Dan, I want to ask you, uh, I know you have little kids. You've got little boys, right? One of the things I notice about my sons is like, you don't even have to teach them this, but they turn everything into a weapon. Am I wrong there? You are not wrong. Sometimes on them, on each other. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you don't even have to teach them this, but this is kind of my point, Dan, that little boys are hardwired for this as, as are men. And it's, it's very interesting to me because like you look at the book of Proverbs and not only will it say that uh, men are weapons, but they use weapons, right? And so you can think of things like Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. It says that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Men are both tools and weapons in this scenario. Um, and then you think of Proverbs twenty-five eighteen, which says uh, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow, right? We're told elsewhere in the Psalms that our sons are like arrows in our hands. So there's this picture that men are themselves weapons. And again, the point is, like in Proverbs 25, it's, it's a bad example. Like you bear false witness. You're, you're like a, a weapon that just injures people. Um, you're clubbing the wrong people. It's not being used for the right thing. So I just want to ask you about this, Dan, that men have this dangerous skill set have you thought much about this as uh, men are weapons? Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, it, it also has crossover to another podcast that I heard this. I mean, it was an amazing podcast. It was called the Hard Men Podcast with uh, Eric Kahn. Yeah, it was on risk. Um, and and that, has a, that has a lot of crossover with this. But uh, um, so I would recommend you go and listen to that episode. I don't remember what it's called, but it was a really good one. Um, but yeah, a, a man can be a master of what their their vision for their life is and be uh, dangerous and be a detriment. Uh, for example, a guy who is become a master at drinking uh, and becomes a drunk and is a uh, is a danger uh, to their whole family and to their whole legacy. That man is a, is a bad weapon. He has been, he has honed his skills. He is the best at getting drunk and he is a danger to everyone around him. Um, that is a bad weapon. And, and, and it just depends on what kind of, like you said, with the arrow, like the, the best way to stay safe is to point it in the right direction. And so a man who has self-mastery that is pointed in a good di direction will be a blessing to those that are under his care and around him. But a man who has self-mastery or mastery, not, not of self, but mastery over um, his aims in a bad direction becomes a weapon to the detriment of those around him. Yeah, that's a really excellent point, Dan. Um, one of the things I want to point to now is uh, we've been talking about this concept of men as dangerous and and it's necessary for them to be dangerous in order for them to be men of virtue and to be good men. And one of the things I want to do, right, I want to point to history and particularly the history of Western thought, uh, which is to say that we didn't invent this, right? This isn't a new concept, but people have been talking and thinking this way uh, for some time. And really in our day, in our generation, the last 10 years, we're sort of the anomaly. So I want to quote from J.R. Tolkien. And this is from the Two Towers. And every time we read this as a family, we've read it with the boys. I've read it multiple times as well. It really sticks with me. And it's an interchange between Gimli and Gandalf. And it goes like this. Gimli said, but you speak of him as if he were a friend. I thought Fangorn was dangerous. Dangerous, cried Gandalf. And so am I. Very dangerous. More dangerous than anything you will ever meet unless you are brought alive before the seat of the Dark Lord. And Aragorn is dangerous, and Legolas is dangerous. You are beset with dangers, Gimli, son of glowing, for you are dangerous yourself in your own fashion. 
Certainly the forest of Fangorn is perilous, not least to those that are too ready with their axes. And Fangorn himself, he is perilous too, yet he is wise and kindly nonetheless. So Dan, that really captures everything that we've been talking about, that you can be wise and good and dangerous, and these things are not mutually exclusive. So I just want to get your thoughts. I know you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, but I want to get your thoughts on that quote. Yeah, I think it's it's good to recognize that the, those men are dangerous. And what what Gandalf was doing to Gimli was showing him that danger, dangerous men, it's good to surround yourself with dangerous men, the right kind of dangerous men, uh, dangerous to their enemies. Um, because that is, that is actually some, a virtuous thing. He's pointing out the virtues of these men, these, these, um, these dangerous men, these virtuous, dangerous men are good to surround yourself with. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting and good point too, Dan. And this is something that will continue to talk about in a later episode as well, but it's this idea, right? There's a fellowship, right? Um, of this group of men fighting together to destroy the ring, get to the mountain, etc., fight off the enemies. And it points to something that we need as men as well, while we're training and we're honing our dangerous skill sets, that we really need to do that in the midst of a band of brothers, right? You can think of gangs of men, you can think of armies. This training is always done together with other men, not in isolation. So I want to ask you, Dan, why is it so important to find a gang and to be part of a gang to train with your brothers? Yeah, it's important first to identify the right men to be in a gang with. And a lot of times, like if we're talking about the wilderness, go hunting with a couple of buddies or a couple of acquaintances, and you'll get to know them really quick. Because their true colors will show once they're uncomfortable or once they're actually put into a position to where things are difficult and they're uncomfortable, you will see their true colors. And so that's, I think, the first thing is like making sure that you're around the right men. And when you find men that are that are masters of their domain, that have have self-mastery, uh, that those are the types of men that you should surround yourself with because you will become like them. It's just a law of the universe. It's an inevitability that you will be like those that you surround yourself with. So, which is a good thing if you pick the right men and then you will have loyalty to one another because you're not made to do this alone. You're not made to fight alone. So it would be best to have virtuous, dangerous men that are Um, more competent than you in some areas so that you can be like them and then they have your back as well. Yeah, that that's an excellent point. And it segues to Dan, uh, not only do we need brotherhoods, but something that I've highlighted continually uh, at the hard men podcast. And then here as well is that men not only need a brotherhood, but they need a mission, right? You need to know not only that you can be trained and honed and sharp and dangerous, but you have to understand the bigger picture. What kind of mission? What purpose are you serving? So I want to talk about mission uh, just a little bit. And I, I want to look in particular at Genesis 128, uh, which is really where God gives man in creation. He gives man his mission. And so like men are hardwired for something. We're actually told what it is. And in Genesis 128, we're told that man is to be fruitful and multiply. He's to fill the earth and subdue it. And he's to rule over it. So I want to start by unpacking that, right? Fruitful and multiply, subdue, and then rule over uh, just a little bit what's happening in this passage and what is our mission as men. So Dan, I want to ask you if you would unpack what is the fruitfulness that is referred to in Genesis 128? It means making, making more of yourself. So it means like having kids, but it's not, it's not less than that, but it's, it's more than that. It's not just making kids, um, but it's also um, caring for them and making sure that they are, because you're responsible for, for what you've made. And so caring for them, uh, raising them up in the uh, Paideia and Nuthesia, the fear and instruction of the Lord, um, and then also bringing others into that fold, taking the fatherless and embracing the responsibility of those that are in your way and um, also raising them up and encouraging them. So that's, that's not just like your sons, but also like, like other men 
that uh, that need a friend or that need uh, brotherhood, you know, accepting them in is being fruitful and multiplying. So I think it's two different ways. I think there's definitely like most obviously the physical aspect. We should have kids. Like if you're intentionally um, barren uh, in a, you know, you're married and you can have kids, obviously that's a, that's a something to consider. But if you, if you can have children and you're being intentionally barren, you should have kids. Like you're just robbing yourself of your own blessings and from the commands of God. But then also, it's not just a physical thing. It's also, like I said, the brotherhood, bringing other people in. That's why we weren't meant to be alone. That's why churches exist as a body of Christ and to invite people into that, to be formed and shaped by that community. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And, and again, this is why groups like the Boy Scouts uh, were formed so that men and boys could be experiencing this fatherly um, training of sons and skill sets this forging that would happen uh, alongside one another. And it's sort of this principle of raising up an army, right? Uh, that your fruitfulness is for something and it's for discipleship and formation of character. The other thing I want to look at in the text next, Dan, is subduing and ruling uh, or taking dominion. Um, so this is really why you raise up an army, right? You build your gang and then, and then it's for a purpose, which is taking dominion. So you conquer... You're a master of your own space. I want you, Dan, to talk just a little bit about dominion. Why is it important for men to grasp this mission of dominion, right? Not just imagine a man without a mission, but he's got a strength, he's a sharp weapon, and he knows exactly what he is supposed to be doing. Yeah, well, you'll find really quickly that a man without a mission is one that's exhausted, has burnout, is kind of like, just feels like a worthless human being because he's meant to work. He was made to do something. Like you said, men are weapons. They were meant, they were meant like if a man is a knife, he was meant to cut. That's the the whole reason that knives exist. Um, as just as an example, I was having a conversation with a young man earlier today. I told him like, you need to have a vision for your life and to like recklessly go after that vision for your life. And so for me, just as an example, uh, I have three things. I want to pass on an inheritance of faith. I want to pass on an inheritance of culture and I want to pass on an inheritance of wealth to my generations. And so everything I do gets funneled into those three categories and recklessly I'm going at that. That's how I'm taking dominion through my generations. And obviously that looks, that looks like, I don't know, maybe keep your yard, like fix your house. That would be like, make your bed as the, you know, clean your room sort of thing. Um, but yeah, a man without a mission is 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 going you literally feel like you're wasting your life cuz you are. You're wasting your life. And so, I don't know what what do you think about that Eric as far as like man with a mission or a vision? What does that look like to you? Yeah, so I mean, I agree with you completely, Dan. When I think of dominion, I think a lot about culture building. I think about my household and I think about my sons. Like what culture am I going to pass on to them? What am I going to leave behind with them? Because ultimately, our lifespans are really short, um, you know, 70, maybe 80 years, if, if we're really lucky. Um, and that's a pretty short time span. And so I'm thinking a lot about what am I going to leave behind wealth, as you said, a legacy of faith, and then how is, how is the work that I'm giving myself today, like giving myself to, how is it? leaving a lasting impact, not only with my kids, but with other men as well. And ultimately, how are we conquering and gaining mastery over our own spaces in the entirety of creation? So we want to build culture and we want to fill the earth uh, with the glory of the Lord. And so how do we, how do, we do that? We all have different roles um, in that, but it's, every individual role has to have that, that aim in mind. And then just the other thing I would say is, for me, I, understanding dominion, I'm helped in wild places um, because I'm going back to my, my roots, right, as, as a man, uh, made from the dust, made to work the ground, made to oversee the animals and manage them and subdue creation. Um, that really gives me this kind of grand sweep in my mind of like, I go in the woods, I go in the wild, I come back and I understand like, I'm here for a, a much bigger purpose than just, you know, getting this task done for work getting a little pleasure, um, enjoying a few things, and then, and then putting my head back down and going to it. It's the glory of creation that teaches me that. 
Yeah, I think you're right. You know what's what's interesting? I think there's a, a perception that that is we've all been familiar with this perception, and I brought it up earlier that that humanity is a plague to the earth. Like that that is something that we're taught. We're it's hammered into our heads through uh, mainstream media and in public schools is that, oh, men are actually just a plague. You've heard time and time again, like, oh, it was humans that, you know, hunted this to extinction. And so, and you know what? That's right. Because men are dangerous. And when that's directed in a wrong way to not take dominion, but just to take, you know, to take for themselves. Um, yeah, not to manage it, not to take dominion um, in the correct way, which is to care for something, to make it fruitful and to multiply it. And so um, that's a lie, first of all, that humanity is like a plague to the earth, because I, I guarantee you, you go into the Midwest and you look at a piece of property of, of timber that has never been touched versus one that has had timber management programs on it where um, the uh, less desirable trees uh, are cut down and left to to sit. So then there's more forage for animals and cover for small game and for birds. Um, and encourages undergrowth, which ended flowering and giving more browse to big game. Like you look at that property versus the one that's never been touched and which one is going to be more fruitful, which one is better. Um, and it's going to be the one that humans touched. Yeah, absolutely. And so when people come in and they're like, you know what, this predator is just they're going to starve because they're just eliminating their prey. We need to manage that, you know, with conservation or hunting has, has really decimated this herd or the winter's been too hard or whatever it is, what is happening. And, and obviously you need to have the right aims, but humans are making things better. That's why there are more white tailed deer now than like any other time in history in the United States is because people have taken dominion over the earth. They've grown crops. They've grown browse for the deer. They've managed the deer herds and now they're huge. Yeah. And that's often something that was misunderstood. I think about Teddy Roosevelt, Boone and Crockett, stuff like that. These conservation groups is they were like, oh, you're all about trophy hunting. That's like an evil, immoral thing. When in reality, what they were trying to do was very intentional. If we could produce herds with mature males, um, that would overall mean, you know, a really good herd health. And so, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt and others developed these principles of conservation, um, which really is a reflection of taking dominion, subduing, managing, being a good steward of the entirety of creation. Right, you've got to both cultivate the land, you've got to tame the wild beast, uh, deal with wolf populations, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, quite often you, you'll note in the scriptures that the wild beasts are sent as like judgment or that, you know, like it, it becomes a bad thing. In a Yeah, I mean, it's settling a land, driving out the wild beast. That's what it meant uh, scripturally, but that's also what it means. You know, I'm reading a Daniel Boone biography. And that was the first thing they did. You know, they go into Kentucky, they go into wherever, and they're going to drive out the wolves, you know. Um, that's how you build culture. That's how you build civilization. You don't want the wolves eating your little kids. No, no, you don't want wolves eating your children. <laughs> yeah, it's also it also comes with the presupposition, which would be way off topic of what the earth is actually for. And... um you know, if humans are a plague, then it's for not us. And that would also tell you something about the person's worldview, what they think about humanity instead of us actually making the earth into like a garden state, into taking dominion and making it flourish and be fruitful and to fill it with humans. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Well, Dan, it gets to kind of the next thing I want to address from Genesis 2.15, uh, that man was put in the garden to work and to keep. So it's kind of this twin thing of cultivation on the one hand, you know, management of species, animals, properties, territories, etc. And then on the other hand, you have your keeping, which is your war fighting, your protection uh, of those same peoples and territories. So this is really where we say men are supposed to be dangerous. Um, I think it's important, again, to realize that it's for something, like it's applied to the protection of your people. It's applied to working the ground by the sweat of your brow. It's for this fruitfulness. And again, as we said before, this is what a, a soft, a weak, 
a harmless man is actually not good for. Well, yeah, a, a soft and weak man, uh, you know, doesn't have calluses on his hands because he ha- he's soft and weak for a reason. He hasn't been working. He hasn't been tending uh, what he's responsible for. And so, um, you know, actually going out and working, this, this expands more than just like, um, you know, like timber management on a property or something like that. This is, this is like economic activity as well. Economic activity, like a man who doesn't work is, is a horrible human being, you know, that obviously with caveats, if you can't work, you know, disabilities, all that, but like a man who refuses to work, a man who is weak, who does not have calloused hands from working, um, whether that's. Yeah, that's right. You shouldn't eat. <laughs> that's that you're like a curse and a byword to your people. I mean, if you don't work. And so weak men also destroy, they don't build. Like weak men, look, just think about families that we've known or people that we've known who refuse to work. What is the state of their house? What about their kids? Like their kids are often in bad shape because they haven't been tending their family. They haven't been keeping their family. They haven't been disciplining their kids. They haven't been encouraging their kids. They, um, let the TV or the public schools be their babysitter, you know, and what that turns out is, is just not great families. And it's unfortunate and it's really sad, but it's also a judgment on their legacy. Uh, and so working and keeping is not just, um, not just like a nature thing, but it's like economic activity and taking care of the, the family that you've been given as like a responsibility. Uh, can you think of other areas? Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I, I would probably add like personal protection, personal defense, Right. These are these are good skill sets for men and for boys. And there's a lot of crossover. That's one thing I've really appreciated uh, about the wilderness and hunting in particular is like it's going to expose you to firearms, which makes it easier to transition into handgun, shotgun training, rifle training, that sort of thing. And again, it could be for personal protection in your home. It could be, you know, you're hunting alone in archery season. You realize like I should probably have a handgun in bear country. And I think that's another thing, you know, I've really learned from uh, John Lovell of the Warrior Poet Society is like, you always need to be prepared to defend your family. As a man, you should be ready to do that. Um, it means being prepared, having, uh, you know, first aid kits in your vehicle, some things on your person. It means having uh, flashlights, EDC knives, everyday carry knives, um, having spare mags, having your, your firearm on your body at all times. Right. It might be the wilderness or it might be going to the gas station with my family. Um, it means, you know, keeping keeping an eye on everything that's going on, keeping an eye on your surroundings. You're not zoning out on your phone. You're not, you know, just not paying attention. Um, and I think there's a real sense as a man where like we need to take that seriously and we should be ashamed if something would happen to our family and we're not prepared for that, right? And I even think of early churches in America. You know, a lot of those churches, it was a requirement that you come to church armed um, because of the threats, uh, the hostile world around you. And you were required, it was a requirement to to defend your people and those people in your community and church. Yeah, yeah. And you're also taking responsibility as, as that sort of man. You're a blessing wherever you go, right? So with with your family or even without your family if you're in uh, an area and there's a danger that's presented they just met like someone they did not want to meet and that is a blessing for the community as well yeah good good points and the last thing i want to address dan is something from uh you know that i get a lot as in feedback when i talk about dangerous men uh particularly if people are familiar at all with the bible or christianity um they will say to me well, doesn't Matthew 5, verse 5, teach that the meek shall inherit the earth? And doesn't meekness be mean being just a nice guy? And so I just want to unpack that here for a second. Really, it's interesting because when you look at that passage, meekness does not mean what we think it means, which would be weakness, uh, nice guy syndrome, you know, you're just limp-wristed and you, you can't stand up for yourself, you won't defend yourself. In fact, it's not at all what it means. The Greek word that's used for meekness is preus, and preus is a word that would describe what you would do to a warhorse, right? You would meek a warhorse. And it doesn't mean that you castrate the new, the the warhorse. It doesn't mean you neuter the warhorse. What it means is that you bring that warhorse under your control 
so that all of its raw strength and power is harnessed for a purpose. And, and I think that is a phenomenal picture, actually, of what men should be. It's not that we should be weak. It's not that we should be neutered. But we should have these dangerous capacities, and we should have them under voluntary control. Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap things up. Dan, I appreciate the conversation. To our listeners, we appreciate you. Be dangerous, men. Have it under control and learn how to use your dangerous capacities for the right mission and the right purpose alongside other men who have your back. For more information on the Wilderness Warrior podcast, be sure to check out wilderness-warrior.com. That is, of course, our website. You can follow the podcast there. You can also find links on the website to sign up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other places where you can subscribe. Speaking of which, if you've enjoyed this show so far, we would encourage you to go on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave five stars, tell them how much you love us, Tell them how much you love Dan's smooth, jazzy voice. Amen to that. Also, we've got Patreon links on our website. You can join our tribe. We'd love it if you did that. We've got T-Shirt of the Month Club. A lot of cool gear coming your way, including hoodies and hats, exclusively for Patreon supporters and Wilderness Warrior Podcast tribe members. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and on Gab, and we're also on Instagram where you can see a lot of cool photos. Thanks again for listening to the Wilderness Warrior podcast, and until next time, live dangerously, be wild, and embrace the warrior way of life.